The Lord is with you. And also Lift up your hearts. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ on this Lord's Day. We greet you, our congregation present in the nave of Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue in the city of Boston. Our congregation present in New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM. Our congregation present around the world, present through webcast and podcast through our website, www.bu.edu forward slash chapel. Together this day, we celebrate the gifts of life, love, and faith. And so today we are happy to welcome, as part of our National Preachers series, Chaplain Lynn Baker, who brings to us the riches of the Mennonite tradition, as she is a licensed minister in the Mennonite Brethren Church. She is also certified in the work of spiritual formation, and she has served as a missionary in Honduras with her husband, Dr. Mark Baker. We'll have the pleasure of hearing him preach next Sunday. Currently, Chaplain Lynn Baker serves as chaplain at Community Regional Medical Center in Fresno, California. And we are very happy to welcome her this week and to welcome Dr. Mark Baker next week uh, into Marsh Chapel. Today, we bid a fond farewell to David Romanick, who has been our chapel associate for the last two years. Um, he has served as our worker with first-year students at Boston University. He has served with our liaison with the Boston University chapter of Habitat for Humanity and with the local refugee immigration ministry working on issues of Iraqi refugee resettlement. David has also been a mainstay of our tenor section and has also the distinction of being one of the tallest if not the tallest person ever to serve at Marsh Chapel. We are grateful for all the gifts and graces that he has brought with him during his time with us, and we wish him very well as he goes off to seminary um, for the fall. David will be reading the psalm today and will also be offering the prayers of the people and serving the chalice. He is joined with Elizabeth Fomby, who will read our epistle and serve the chalice also, by Victoria Gaskell. Our choir will be conducted today by Justin Blackwell and Tim Westerhouse. Justin Blackwell is also our organist, and our sacristan is David Ames. I am Reverend Victoria Hart Gaskell, a chapel associate here at Marsh. We are invited to lunch twice this week. This coming Wednesday, August 6th, at noon, in the Thurman Room downstairs, we will have the last of our summer luncheon seminars. Our guest will be Dr. Mark Baker, and we look forward to a good time of discussion and fellowship with him. Um, the lunch and the seminar are free of charge to the, and open to the public. Please just RSVP to the chapel, either through the phone number on the website or through our email, www, sorry, chapel at, www, at bu.edu. That's chapel at bu.edu. And immediately after the service, downstairs in the Marsh Room, we are invited to the monthly communion potluck, which is sponsored by the Marsh Chapel chapter. Um, it's an excellent potluck with both vegetarian and carnivore options. And if you haven't brought anything this time to share, please don't let that stop you from joining us. There is always enough, and we will be very glad of your good company. And so the Marsh Chapel Choir and Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Congregation at Boston University, and Dean Robert Allen Hill, invite your support, prayerful and material. Invite your presence, actual and virtual as we celebrate in the love and the worship of God. Dearly beloved, please rise now and throughout this service in body as you are able and certainly in heart as we join together in the worship and the love of God.
Dearly beloved, let us pray together. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. lesson from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, king of Rezin, of Aram, and king Pekah, son of Ramaliah, of Israel went up to attack Jerusalem, but could not mount an attack against it. When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shir Jajub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands because of the fierce anger of Razin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and cut off Jerusalem and conquer it for ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is in Damascus and the head of Damascus is Razin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, no longer a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. The word of the Lord.
Let us say together verses from Psalm 17 with the choral response. Just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From you let my vindication come. Let your eyes see the right. If you try my heart, if you visit me by night, if you test me, you will find no wickedness in me. My mouth does not transgress. As for what others do, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied, beholding your likeness. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel and the Gloria Patri. of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, 
yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of humanity, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Presence. Presence makes all the difference. We notice people's presence. If someone comes into the room, we usually know it, even if our back is turned. We all understand what is meant when we hear, he has great stage presence. In a hospital room, when the dying person takes her last breath, Everything changes. When someone's eyes wander during our conversation, we know they are not fully present. When a couple discovers they are pregnant, everything changes. Presence is powerful. As human beings, we long for presence. In the story of King Ahaz and the prophet Isaiah that was read, we heard a conversation in which a sign is given, a promise of Emmanuel, of God's presence. Could it be that in this very sign, Ahaz is given what he most deeply needs, but somehow he was not able to open his heart to receive it? King Ahaz is afraid. He is threatened by the invasion of two small neighboring countries, and he and his people are shaking with fear. With fear as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to give comfort and counsel. Take heed. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. What gracious words, words of deep wisdom and also common sense. The fact is that the first attack by these two kings had failed. Isaiah gives the prophecy that the coalition would fall on its own, calling them smoldering stumps of firebrands. Yet Ahaz was badly shaken. And Isaiah challenges him, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. Ahaz does not trust Isaiah's words of comfort or of perspective or of exhortation. He does not stand firm in the faith of his people. People whose faith in the presence of God had led them in the Exodus, the Exodus from Egypt and provided them with manna in the desert and water from a rock. The God of the children of Israel had shown how God works, not by power as we usually understand power, Superman or huge armies, but by felling the walls of Jericho after seven days of marching and trumpets, by a shepherd boy named David slaying the giant Goliath with a slingshot. If these are glimpses of the ways of the God whom Isaiah was calling Ahaz to trust, who then is this God? Does Ahaz know this God? Do I? Do we? Can 
feel the position that Ahaz is in, he must choose how to respond to a threat. Armies are poised to strike. His decision will become a pivot on which hangs his future and the future of his nation. Will he heed Isaiah's counsel and entrust this future to the care of God? Or will he turn elsewhere for the security of his nation? Even if we are not the leader of a small nation, we have all been in Ahaz's position. As individuals and as churches and as nations, we have all been in positions where we need to respond to threats. Our actions, like Ahaz's, will be decided by our inner response of fear or faith. And our inner response depends on whether we trust God's presence. In Ahaz's story, God steps into this pivotal moment with an invitation to ask for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz refuses to ask. Perhaps he refuses because a sign could be an obstacle, preventing him from doing the only thing his fear-filled heart knew to do, to look for power, for security, in things he could see, political, military, economic power, and a certain pride seems to be in play here as well, doing things his way instead of the way God was calling him to. In the book of 2 Kings, we learn what decision Ahaz made. He gave his loyalty to the king of Assyria, the superpower of his day, in order to secure Assyria's military protection. Ahaz sent a message that said, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Isaiah takes the prophet Ahaz's refusal to ask for a sign as a rejection of God. He retorts, you weary my God. But then Isaiah goes on and says, something unexpected. He tells Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, what does this mean? Like all of life and history, there are interwoven layers of meaning and nuance. One thread in the tapestry of this prophecy is that the woman who bore a son was Ahaz's wife, and Emmanuel is the next king of Judah, their son, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king whose heart trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah after him. The Lord was with him. Hezekiah becomes Emmanuel as he reigns in the ways his father Ahaz had been called to. Hezekiah stands, stands firm in faith, and is a model for the kind of king that is finally fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews, the king of the nations. In chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah, we see another thread of the prophecy in these words. For a son has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you recognize some of these words? from Handel's Messiah, which we usually hear at Christmas time. Handel was following the lead of St. Matthew, who interpreted Isaiah's prophecy as speaking of the birth of Jesus Christ. 
In Matthew's gospel account of Jesus' birth, we read, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And thus, the sign given to King Ahaz, who rejected God's presence, echoes through the centuries. Emmanuel. God with us. Three words, and they lie at the heart of the Christian faith, proclaiming presence, proclaiming incarnation. Into the human story where fear and pride-based living has dominated much of the personal and social history of the world comes God, whose presence is as unexpected, unpredictable, and vulnerable as a baby, born to a virgin and put to bed in a feeding trough. We need presence to know, to live, the reality that we can trust God's love for us so that the actions, so that our very life itself can stem from faith instead of fear, instead of fear like Ahaz. One of my personal faith crises came in the year 1998. My family and I were living as missionaries in Honduras, Central America. With many others, we watched on TV and heard the radio reports of a massive hurricane moving towards Honduras. We prayed that it would dissipate or turn back to sea. Instead, the storm sat spinning off the coast, drenching most of the country for the better part of a week. Before landfall, when it poured water onto already saturated soil, landslides and floods overwhelmed thousands of people who died in those torrents. In the days afterwards, I grappled with the God I had sung about in Sunday school many years before, the God who had blown a path through the Red Sea for Moses and the people to cross. Surely God could have blown Mitch out to sea. Where was God? As I went to bed, in those early post-Mitch days, I began to hold a small crucifix in my hand like a child clutching her teddy bear. It was a wordless prayer, an ever so faint echo of the words of Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Through this symbol, one night, I heard, I came. I came, and I died too. I came, and I died. The Apostle Paul says, I preached Christ and him crucified. God came into the story of human history into the storm of human history. St. John writes in the lovely prelude to his gospel, the word became flesh and lives among us. Christ, full of grace and truth. The glimpse into the mystery of the incarnation that I was given that night began to become the new paradigm of my life. Instead of seeing God as out there, blowing the waters of the sea or not blowing the waters, the crucifix speaks of a God who is present with us in the waters. It speaks of a God who could and does go anywhere that humans could go, always present to us in love, truly God with us, calling us to trust, to trust a God who will never abandon us. 
wonder how the history of God's people would have been different if King Ahaz had been able to trust God's care instead of calling on the king of Assyria for help. I wonder how all of our lives would shift as we entrust ourselves to the God of the prophet Isaiah, the God who works in surprising ways, like coming as a baby in a manger, whose very vulnerability draws forth our love. John Shea eloquently describes God's presence in a wonderful poem, a prayer to the God who fell from heaven. I invite you to listen to it. A prayer to the God who fell from heaven. If you had stayed tight-fisted in the sky and watched us thrash with all the patience of a pipe smoker, I would pray like a golden bullet aimed at your heart. But the story says you cried, and so heavy was the tear, you fell with it to the earth. Where, like a baritone in a bar, it is never time to go home. So you move among us, twisting every straight line into Picasso, stealing kisses from pinched lips, holding our hand in the dark. So now when I pray, I sit and turn my mind like a television knob till you are there with your large open hands spreading my life before me like a Sunday tablecloth and pulling up a chair yourself for by now the secret is out. You are home. I work as a hospital chaplain. One of the first nights I was, at call, uh, I was on call, a woman whose husband of 50 years died. She, she shared some stories and we prayed. And then we simply sat together in that quiet room. After a long time, I became unsure if she would prefer to be alone or for me to stay. I gently asked her, and she responded, I'd like you to stay. We continued to sit in silence until she was ready to go. She was my teacher that night. Often what we need is simply presence. In liturgical churches, a central refrain is repeated at every service, summing up the reality of God's presence. It goes like this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ has passed through the waters of Hurricane Mitch, through the waters which every person who has ever died has passed, and through the waters we will each pass someday. Even death is a place where God is present. Christ is risen. Death could not hold God's life and love. Christ burst through death, and in his resurrection, the doors are open, open to life. Christ is risen. His presence is real, here, today. Where two or more are gathered in his name, Christ is present. In the breaking of the bread, Christ is present. With us until the end of the age, Christ is present. And finally, Christ will come again, our great hope. The presence of God with us in Christ is the fulfillment of the sign given to King Ahaz many centuries before. Ahaz lived in fear. He lived in the pride of human resourcefulness, 
which is ultimately to reject God. And still, even in the midst of his fear and pride, the sign of Emmanuel was given. What grace! In Christ, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We will soon share in the Lord's Supper a celebration of God's presence. As we eat and drink together, may we newly place our faith in the God of the prophet Isaiah, who in Christ is present with us to calm our fears, to redirect our pride, to be our deepest source of life and peace. Amen. give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. The ushers will wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings.
We offer back these gifts in love to you, that your presence may be known in the world and give you glory. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to give you church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the need. Forgive us. The Lord is with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, and giving voice to all creation, we praise your name and join the unending
And so we remember when Jesus sat at supper with his disciples, he took bread. And when he had given thanks and blessed it, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Each time you eat this, remember me. Likewise, after supper, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks and blessed it, he gave the cup to his disciples and said, Take, drink, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink this, remember me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. God of abundant and eternal love, in your infinite love for the world, you came to dwell among us through Jesus Christ. As we prepare now to receive you into our hearts through the Eucharist, we remember those in this world who have nothing. For refugees, prisoners, and captives. For those whose homes are torn by war, especially in Zimbabwe, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and in the Holy Land. We remember those who have asked for, our, asked for our prayers, especially for Roy and Almina. Help those we pray for to know that you are with them. Gracious God, we ask you to bless this community, that it may be an example for the world in its preaching of the gospel. Finally, God, we ask you to bless those who are dying, those who have died, and those who mourn, that they may know that there is a place where there is no pain or grief, but life everlasting. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All are welcome at the Lord's table. There is wine in the chalice on the pulpit side, and there is alcohol-free grape juice in the chalice on the lectern side. There are other invitations in your bulletin. Look, the bread of heaven is broken for the life of the world. Look, the cup of salvation is poured out for the life of the world. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep this feast with joy and thanksgiving.